Well, I wanted to talk with you this morning, first of all, just about the story of when I was back in college, and a friend and I decided that we were going to go and visit some friends that were in school at Mizzou. We were students here at SEMO, and um, I'd never driven to Columbia before, but I knew that you go up and then you go left, like I'd seen it on a map. And this was uh, the day and age before we had Google Maps on a smartphone. So you had to like, you either had to print off directions from MapQuest, if you remember that website, uh, or you had to get an atlas or an actual map and just look at that. And the thing was, you had to pay attention because if you weren't paying attention, you didn't have the lady from Google that was like, uh, hey, you're going the wrong direction, rerouting, rerouting. Like nobody told you you needed to reroute. So I thought, well, this shouldn't be hard. I mean, you go up and over, and there's you know, probably just a couple streets that you're on. And, and additionally, my friend Joe, Joe said, oh, I've made this drive before. All you got to do is we go up to St. Louis, you look for the signs that say Lake St. Louis, you merge onto I-70, and then you're in Columbia. And I thought, okay, this sounds great. So we saw those signs for Lake St. Louis, thought that we merged onto I-70, but somehow we kept going north on Highway 61. But we thought, we're on I-70, we can just not pay attention anymore, and then we'll start to see billboards with Mizzou Tigers on them, and we know that we'll be close. Well, we just kind of got lost in conversation, and we're having a great time talking, and then all of a sudden, I did see a sign, and it was kind of like right in my peripheral vision, right out of the corner of my eyes, one of those green signs, about like this, city limit sign, and I saw just enough of it where I was like, man, Joe, I thought that said Hannibal. And I was like, I'm sure it didn't say Hannibal. It, maybe it said like Cannibal, because Missouri has some weird names of towns. Maybe it, maybe it said Cannibal, Missouri. I just don't know where that's at. But then I started to see more signs, because we know what Hannibal is known for, right? Home of Mark Twain, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. I'm seeing gift shops, restaurants, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, Mark Twain. And the real nail in the coffin is I saw a giant statue of Tom Sawyer, and I knew. I was like, I don't know how we've done this, Joe, but we are in Hannibal. There's no doubt about it. And so, so we pull over to a hotel just to, to confirm our suspicions, and the hotel clerk said, yeah, you're in Hannibal, Missouri, you boneheads. You know, we're like, how did we get here? And so we're like, how? so we're looking at a map, we're asking questions, and, and she says, yeah, you're nowhere close to Columbia. In fact, you're just as far as you were when you, when you got to St. Louis. You're 100 miles away, and there's no interstate to get there. We're talking backwoods, two-lane highways to get to Columbia. And in five minutes, we're supposed to be meeting our friends. And so we were like, we were just, you know, we were mad. We were sulking. We were just like, I can't, how did this happen, you know, blaming each other. And then we're just like, you know what, okay, we... We've got to get to Columbia. Like, our friends are waiting on us. So whatever the roads we've got to take and whatever the speed we have to drive, we're going to get there, you know? And so all of a sudden, we had this new resolve. And we're just like, we, we've taken a wrong turn. We've come to grips with the error that we've made. But we're changing course, and we're getting back on track, and we're going the right direction. And I share that story with you uh, so that you know that I am not great with directions. But then also... I think this is a great picture of what repentance looks like in the life of a believer. You're cruising along in your faith. 
you get complacent. And there's, there's signs, there's, starting, there's signs that are coming up on, you know, in different places, but you're, you're just not noticing them. You're not paying attention to them, and you're just cruising along in the wrong direction. But then somehow, one of these signs hits you, kind of like the prodigal son just got hit by the Lord in Luke 15, 17, and he came to his senses. And so, all of a sudden, you start to have thoughts like, what, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And you get the right directions from God's word. You have this new vigor to speed off in a new direction, like Joe and I did. You turn from your sin and what you thought was right, you turn toward Christ, and it's not always an easy turn to make, but when you look back, you're like, yeah, that's the right turn to make, even if it's tough, and I do it again a hundred times over. That's what repentance is. And that's really where we find Jonah today. Jonah has gone the wrong direction. He has experienced the discipline of the Lord in terrible and miraculous ways. But in the belly of the fish, as Ben shared last week, Jonah had a change of heart. And in Jonah 2.9, he declares, salvation is from the Lord. And that's when we see that God commands the fish to let Jonah go. And so he repents, he believes the truth, his life is spared, and he is puked up on the shore. And at this point, we've seen a lot of great miracles in the story of Jonah, but really the greatest miracle is yet to come because Jonah is now a changed man, and he's ready to do God's will, whatever the cost is. So today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the marks of a repentant prophet. We are going to be in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And on that note, if you have the ability, if you would, please stand with us and let's read God's word together. Again, we're in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out, and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You can be seated. So the first thing we're going to look at today on your outline is our first point. A repentant prophet remembers the past. A repentant prophet remembers the past. And so I'm trying to picture this scene and what it looks like. And Jonah has been vomited out of a huge creature's mouth onto this beach. And who knows if anybody's around or not. He might be all alone. We don't know for sure. But he's, he's just laying there face down in the sand. And he probably, I mean, he didn't know he was going to get barfed out on the shore. He didn't know he was going to live through this. So he's probably just bewildered that he's even alive. And all of a sudden, like, what happened? Jonah hasn't seen the sunlight for three days. Imagine when you've seen a daytime show at the movie theater and you've been in the dark for two hours and you go out in the parking lot bright. He hadn't seen the sun for three days. He hadn't breathed fresh air for three days. He hadn't heard sounds of life for three days. All he was hearing was what was going on inside of this giant fish. And so Jonah is in a state of shock, and he stinks, and he's soaking wet, and then he hears this word from God, arise. Probably didn't feel like arising at that point. 
And I bet when he heard this word, it reminded him of something. Chapter 1, verse 2, God said, Arise, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. To arise means to get up. And I have to picture Jonah in chapter 1 getting up from probably a somewhat comfortable place. I mean, maybe he was in a chair at home. Maybe he was arising out of his bed. Maybe he was getting up from a meal, a time of prayer, a time in God's Word. He was in a prosperous time in Israel, and he had a popular ministry, according to 2 Kings 14.25. So things were really good for Jonah the first time that he heard the word arise. And now we think about the contrast here. He's in a different spot. And Jonah is once again, he is told to arise, to get up. And life has not been going well for Jonah lately. Life has not been easy. Life has not been good. He's laying on the sand in this disgusting state. He hears the Lord once again say, arise. And you have to think of this word all of a sudden kind of gripped him and gave him some flashbacks. And it wasn't that long ago that he heard this word, and it sent him on a downward spiral. He heard arise, and he arose, and he ran from the presence of the Lord, and he was fleeing to Tarshish on a ship, and he experienced a terrible storm. And then the sailors pick him up and throw him overboard, and he thinks that he's going to die. And then he sinks down to the depths of the sea, nearly drowning, and then a giant fish comes and swallows him up, and then there's three days of hard-hearted silence in the dark, smelly, hot belly of a fish. That's what happened last time he heard arise. And now this time, he's hearing arise again. And is he different? Yeah, he's different. And I think part of the process of repentance, it's looking back. It's looking back, and it's looking back to our sin and where it took us, and us coming to the realization of, What was I thinking? What was I doing? That was such a destructive path. At the time, I thought it was right, and nobody could have talked me out of it. I thought, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter who tells me to do otherwise. This is the right way to go. But when we repent, all of a sudden our heart changes and our mind changes, and then our actions start to change. And we start to wonder, why would I do that to God? Why would I do that to a God who loves me so much? But the amazing thing about God is he, use, he will discipline us, but it's always to our benefit. And sometimes it's painful. It talks about this in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 and verse 11. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord's chastening is needed for his children. It's needed for you and I, and it was needed for Jonah because we all go astray. But God's chastening brought him to the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So we see here in Jonah 3, 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise. And I don't think God took very much time to tell Jonah to arise. He, he might have been just, I just came, came out of this fish, and God's already telling me to arise. But this time we know that he was ready to listen, and he was ready to obey. And it's really amazing what a change of heart can do for somebody, isn't it? Because God didn't change. 
mean, Jonah changed, but God didn't change, right? I mean, God's like, hey, I'm, I'm still here, Jonah. And guess what? The mission hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed. It's, I'm still here, and that's all the same. God is consistent even when we're not. And he says, arise, go to Nineveh. That's still what I want you to do. And I think it's funny that sometimes we think that if we run from God in disobedience, if I just give it a few weeks or a few months or a few years or maybe a few decades of my life, God will change his mind. Then I can come back and he'll have a different game plan. It doesn't matter how long you run. God's game plan is going to stay the same. And he's just going to wait for you to change your mind. And he's going to get you right back on track and say, this is still the game plan. This is still the mission. This is still what I want you to do. And Jonah realized that. We would be wise to obey the first time. But nevertheless, at this point, Jonah is all ears. He's ready to obey, whether there's hardships or not. Because there's going to be some hardships in front of him. And that leads us to our second point today. A repentant prophet accepts the challenge. A repentant prophet accepts the challenge. Jonah certainly had a challenge ahead of him in a lot of ways that we're going to look at here in Just because we repent and we get back on track with God, that doesn't mean that things are going to be easy and all of a sudden life is a bowl full of cherries. I think that's a misconception some people have about Christianity. Sometimes it can be quite the opposite. Uh, We face trials, we face difficulties, and really about the closest that Jonah could have been to Nineveh was about 450 miles. And I don't think I ever really pictured that or thought about that. Uh, No car, no plane, no boat to get there. Nineveh is in modern-day Mosul, Iraq. So if Jonah gets vomited out on a shoreline in modern-day Turkey, about as close as he could get to Mosul, Iraq, still was one heck of a walk, 450 miles. And, and that could have taken two weeks and some long days of walking for him to get there. Maybe they, he took another mode of transportation, but either way, it was still a long trip, and he still had a lot of time to think. And he still had a lot of time to decide, you know what? I'm running again. You know what? I, 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 I still I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm changing my mind. I'm going back. But we see that Jonah is a repentant man, and he has a new vigor about him, and he's like, I'm headed to Nineveh, no matter how far it is, no matter how long it takes. And he keeps moving ahead. This makes me think of Luke 14.33. Jonah counted the cost. Jesus tells us to count the cost. He said, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he can't be my disciple. Notice he doesn't say he can't be my missionary. He doesn't say he can't be my pastor. He's like, if you want to call yourself a Christian and you want to follow after me, you ought to be ready to give up everything. James says something kind of similar in James 1-2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. There's no question as to whether you're going to face a trial or not. And there's no question that you're going to have a variety and different shapes and sizes of trials. They're going to come. And so you're going to need a spirit-empowered will that's going to keep you pressing on. You're going to keep walking day after day, step after step. And that's what Jonah had. He had plenty of time to think as he moved on toward Nineveh. And this is just kind of speculation. But I have to think that at some point, Jonah was thinking, why did God come to me a second time? Why did he come back to me? Surely there was other guys that were better suited for the job. I mean, look at what I did. I mean, couldn't he have found somebody else? Why is he still going to use me? And we even see later on in chapter 4, he was still struggling with hating the Ninevites, the very people he was going to go and preach to. 
So even after his repentance in the fish, he still isn't a perfect follower of the Lord. He still has his struggles. He still has his problems. And it's easy for us, I think, even today to think, well, we've got to have it all together. If God's going to use me, I've got to have it all together. And if I've messed up, it's even easier for us to think, well, he's done with me. He's not going to use me. He can't use me anymore. But as James Boyce points out in his commentary on Jonah, he says, God truly is a God of second chances. It would have been enough for God just to save Jonah's life after he repented and just be like, Jonah, man, it was, I'm glad that you repented. Nice try, but you can go back home and I'm going to find somebody else. Maybe a better guy that's suited for the job. But that's not God's heart toward him and that's not God's heart toward us. He re-enlists Jonah and he wants us to learn and grow and to press on and become more and more and more like him and conformed into his image. I love this proverb in Proverbs 24:16. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Something that's interesting about this proverb is the righteous fall and the wicked stumble. Both parties are falling, but only one gets back up. That's the difference. The righteous, by the power of God and knowing the love and forgiveness of God, when we fall, we're able to get back up. And it might be difficult. We might feel like failures. Jonah might have struggled with feeling like a failure. We might feel like we're not worthy, but God doesn't want us just to waller in our self-pity and wait for, for perfection. He's conforming us into his image. He's using these failures, he's using these experiences and these trials and difficulties so that we can become more like Jesus. And he's not going to be done doing that till the day that we die. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. It says in Romans 8, 28 through 29, a familiar passage, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says something similar. It says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So God is at work, and he's going to continue to conform us and transform us into his image to become more like him. This made me think of a story when I was 15 and I had my driver's permit and I had driven a little bit, but I'm from Jackson and I, most of my driving had been in Jackson. And one day um, my dad had me uh, take the wheel and drive over to Cape and kind of on a, an, an area that I wasn't real familiar with. And so we were back on Bloomfield Road and my stepbrother and stepsister were in the back seat of the van. My dad was next to me. And I'm cruising along Bloomfield Road, kind of up by the Community Counseling Center, if you know where that is. And there's a stoplight there now. But back then, it was just a four-way stop. And there was this tree limb that was kind of hanging over the stop sign. I couldn't see it real well. And man, I just blew right past that and came to a screeching halt right in the middle of the intersection. And people are looking at me and honking at me, and I stopped so fast that apparently my stepbrother and stepsister didn't have their seatbelt on, and they flew onto the floor, and I was like, Dad, I'm done. Take the wheel. It's like, let's pull over, and you're driving back home, because I'm not doing this, because I'm scared, I'm shook up, I don't think I can do it. And he's like, no, you're fine. Keep driving. You're driving back home. Like, he didn't give me the option. He wasn't really even that sympathetic. He's kind of like... No, you're the driver, keep going, you're going to be okay. And I was scared to death, and boy, I had, a, I had a cautious route and cautious speed on the way home. 
But I was glad, as I looked back later, I was glad that he didn't let me just quit. He was just pushing me, no, no, I know you failed, it's okay, everybody's fine, let's just keep going forward, let's just keep moving forward. And I'm glad that he helped me realize, hey, just because you fail doesn't mean you should quit. And I think about all of the heroes in the Bible who needed a big-time second chance. I mean, they're numerous, but just a few examples. Boyce points out a few of these in his commentary once again. He talked about Abraham. Abraham was told, hey, go to the land that I'll show you. And Abraham goes, but then he lies about his wife in Egypt. He's fearing for his own life, though God just said, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That means you have to have a kid. You don't have a kid yet. I mean, do the math. Um, He's fearing for his own life. He doubts God's plan and his ability to bring him a son in Genesis 15. God talks to him again. He's like, hey, here's the deal. Promise is still the same. I'm still with you. God comes to him a second time. He gives him a second chance to have faith. I think about Moses. Moses thought, I'm going to rescue my people through violence. He murders the Egyptian, and he runs away to the desert. You know how long he was there? Forty years. He was in the desert for 40 years, and it says in Exodus 2.21, Moses was content. He was content to just live out the rest of his life and die as a shepherd. We probably never would have heard anything about him. But God comes to him a second time in a burning bush, and he gives him a second chance. I think about David. After his sin with Bathsheba, he'd been called a man after God's own heart. He deserved death for what he had done, but God gave him a second chance to become that same man, a man after God's own heart again. I think about Peter. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He was one of his best friends for three years, and then he says, I don't even, I don't even know the guy. What abandonment. I mean, what a shameful thing to do to Jesus. And we see, though, how Jesus specifically seeks Peter out in John 21. Peter's like, I'm going fishing. In verse 3, and Jesus is like, I'm coming fishing, but I'm coming for you. I haven't given up on you. And he reinstates him, uh, recommissions him for service. God really is a God of second chances. In fact, he's a God of a lot more than second chances, isn't he? We need him to be a God of thousands of chances. And he's not looking for a perfect person. He's looking for a repentant person who fails and he gets back up again whenever he says, Arise and you go. And Jonah's that guy right now. In verse 3, it says, Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So this time, he gets it right. But there's still other great challenges that awaited Jonah when he actually arrived. Now, this city was huge. It's called in this passage, that exceedingly great city. When we look at Jonah 4.11, it says that there were more than 120,000 people who didn't know their right hand from their left. And I still see some youth sometimes kind of doing this thing when I say left and right. And they're like, left and right. But I don't think it's talking about youth. I think it's talking about young kids, little kids. And some scholars have estimated based off of this that the city could have potentially been 600,000 people. And at the time, it could have possibly been the largest city in the world. So... Additionally, on top of that, there's a lot of people there, and it's, it's spread out. Uh, it says that it's going to take three days to cover the entire place, to walk through the entire city. And some people have suggested, well, this was a cluster of cities, and Nineveh was one of them. Other people have said, well, this is Nineveh. It's just that big, and you have the city walls, but you have the suburbs, people just kind of spilling out beyond the city walls, and it's just that big. So it was a big area, and this big territory he had to cover alone. He was by himself, 
He was the lone follower of Jehovah, the one true God, going into this massive city, and he was going to be preaching to a bunch of godless pagans who didn't know about his God and didn't care about his God. There was a great chance that they wouldn't listen. There was a great chance that they were going to persecute Jonah or maybe just have him killed. Those were all very likely scenarios. So this wasn't going to be an easier, more understanding audience, maybe like he was used to back home. And then there was even another challenge for Jonah that he didn't even know what he was going to say. So in Jonah 3, 2, it says, Preach to it the message that I tell you. And so if Eric came up to me on Monday and said, Hey, Andy, uh, I need you to preach for me on Sunday. I'd be like, well, that's not a lot of time, Eric, but I mean, sure, if you really need me to, I'd love the opportunity. Like, so what passage and uh, topic are we going to be going through? And he says, I'm going to tell you later. Like, I don't know, Eric. I mean, it's pretty close to Sunday already. Could you just kind of tell me now? I'd be like, no, I'll tell you later when the time is right. Just know that this is the right message that people need to hear. And uh, it's going to be a message of judgment, by the way. Be like, oh, okay. I'll try not to have anxiety about that till you let me know later on, you know. And so we, we see Jonah here, and he didn't know the message yet. Now, we do know that from Jonah 1-2 that he was going to cry out against it that God had seen their wickedness, but that was it. So all he knew on the surface was, this doesn't appear to be a popular message as he's plodding along on his way to Nineveh. But for all these challenges, Jonah's a repentant man, right? So he's different. He has a change of heart. He is ready to do God's will no matter what the cost is. And God did eventually give him a message to speak. And it was going to be one that would cause the greatest revival in history. That leads us to our last point. Number three, a repentant prophet preaches the truth. A repentant prophet preaches the truth. And truth isn't always a popular message. Uh, Even in the church, truth isn't always a popular message. As a pastor, there's times when I have to have a difficult conversation with somebody that, quite frankly, in my flesh, I don't really want to have it. But that person needs to hear the truth, and they might not like it, or it might sting, but I know in my heart that it needs to be said And that can be difficult, and it can be difficult for you just as a follower of Jesus when God puts someone on your heart that you need to share the truth with, and you know, I want to share this truth and see them follow it more than they do. And that can be really tough. The church discipline process I've been a part of a few times here, and trying to restore someone to repentance that doesn't want to repent, I don't know if ministry gets much tougher than during that time. And that's what's always amazed me about these Old Testament prophets, is God gives them, they get the word of the Lord, and they're like, who am I saying it to? You know, they're just, they're ready. They're ready to share the message. A lot of times to the disregard of their own life, and they're going to give the truth to whoever, and sometimes it's not easy, but they're like, I'm going to deliver this. There's really no question as to whether I'm going to deliver the truth or not. I think of Samuel, who even as a young child was asked by his master Eli to share the message from God that Samuel had received. And it was about Eli's own demise. And Samuel, according to 1 Samuel 3.18, told him everything and hid nothing. He was committed to sharing God's truth. I think about Nathan. And Nathan very obviously risked his own life coming before King David. He confronted David about his sin of murder and adultery. And he said in 2 Samuel 12.7, after he tells this story that David is sympathizing about, he's like, you're that guy. You almost see him pointing his finger at David. You're the man. 
And he was committed to sharing God's truth. I think about Jeremiah. His first message from the Lord was to this stiff-necked people. And it went something like this. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Therefore prepare yourself and arise, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay before you. He goes on to say in verse 18, he's like, here's the deal, Jeremiah. You're going to be against the kings of Judah. You're going to be against the princes of Judah. You're going to be against its priests, and you're going to be against its people. Basically, everybody is going to fight against you. But I want you to know that as you speak the truth, I'm with you, and they're not going to overcome you. Jeremiah was committed to sharing God's truth, no matter what the cost was. I think of Amos. Amos was a contemporary of Jonah. They lived at the same time. He was a prophet. He's warning the people to quit trusting in their prosperity and their wealth and to worship the Lord who gives them their prosperity, or he's going to take it away. He was committed to sharing God's truth. And then we have Jonah. He's the only prophet on record that heard the word of the Lord and didn't deliver it. He refused. He was afraid. He was selfish. And I think we can relate to him maybe a little bit more than the typical boldness that we see in God's other prophets. But that was all before Jonah was a repentant man. Now he is ready to preach the truth. And God gave him a message. And here was the message. In 40 days... Nineveh is going down. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. It was a message of judgment. It was to a godless people. Prophets preaching to their own people in sin, that's tough. But Jonah's preaching this message of judgment to an evil people that weren't even his people. But now Jonah becomes like the Old Testament prophets once again. And he has to speak this message that God has given him no matter what. He can't hold it inside. Much like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 7 and 9, he said, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say... I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah is like, I have to speak God's truth. I can't help it. That's what repentant people do. Much like Peter and John told their persecutors in Acts 4, 19 through 20, which is also the mission statement of our youth group, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Jonah was a repentant prophet. He had a message that he was going to preach time and time and time again as he walked through this exceedingly great city. At first, people might not have paid much attention to Jonah. This is a large city. There's a lot of commerce. There's a lot of things going on. But over time, as Jonah continually goes about the city preaching, something starts to change and the hustle and bustle of city life starts to slow down and people start to listen to this prophet who is preaching doom to their city. And what would follow was the greatest revival that the world had ever seen. Jonah was true to, pre to preach the truth. It, really, when you think about it, it's amazing that God used this guy. There were so many reasons for God to give up on Jonah. But yet he used Jonah to lead the greatest revival ever recorded in Scripture. 
I don't think he would have been my first pick. But God's like, you're the man. And like so many other, there would have been so many other prophets that could have been a better fit. Talked about Amos, Hosea was another prophet at that time. Those guys might have obeyed the first time and immediately went and preached the message. But here's the thing, God specializes in redemption and God loves to use broken and conflicted people like Jonah. Maybe you can relate to that. I know that I can. And I just wonder, where are you at today? We think back to the story that I shared to you when I first started. I'm cruising along on the highway just thinking I'm going the right direction. And maybe you're cruising along just in your life thinking, I'm fine. But really, if you would slow down and you would take a look, there are signs everywhere telling you you're going the wrong way. And God is trying to tell you, you need to slow down and stop, and you need to go a different direction. Are you paying attention to those signs? Maybe the sign is, you know what? You don't even know me. You're headed in a completely different direction in your life. I'm the one that's created you. I'm the one that's offered redemption to you through Christ. And maybe you just need to trust Christ because you've never done that. That's step one. You need to turn around, trust Christ, and not yourself to be saved. Maybe you're a believer and you're, you're cruising along on that highway, but, but again, you're seeing these signs and you're like, I know I'm not going the right direction. Don't wait. Today, stop and turn around in God's power. He will give you a new vigor. He will empower you to go in that new direction. Maybe you're on that right road and there's some challenges that God has in front of you. Much like Jonah, he had a long way to go to get to Nineveh. There was a lot of challenges ahead of him. And as I said before, a follower of God, it's not always easy. A lot of times it can be very tough. It's called the narrow road for a reason, and there's few people that are on it. Are you digging into his word? Are you praying? Are you asking for help? Are you leaning on his body to get through and to keep pressing on one step at a time, one day at a time? Jonah took one step at a time on a long journey to Nineveh. Are you committed to keep moving forward even through your difficulties? Find the help that you need in God's word, in prayer, in other believers, and slowly but surely keep moving forward. Maybe there's a difficult message that God has called you to share with someone who needs to hear it, and you're waiting for the perfect time to do it. I know I've been there. There's not going to be a perfect time to do it. If God's called you to share his truth with someone who needs to hear it, that's maybe going on the wrong road and they need to turn around, when are you actually going to do that? Because there's never going to be an ideal time. It's never going to sound that appealing. But we need to remember, as we see in Jonah's story, who knows, you might see, God might be sending you to send a great revival into that person's life and into that person's heart. And they're waiting to hear from you. Jonah had no idea how great the impact of the message that he would share was going to have. So don't delay so today we praise God that he doesn't give up on broken and conflicted people like Jonah and on broken and conflicted people like us. But instead he uses us to do his will. And when he does that, because we're broken and we're conflicted and we know it, we don't get the credit and the praise. He gets all of it. So let's, let's praise God for the fact that he continues to use broken and conflicted people like us. Let me pray. Lord, it's amazing the God that you are. I think of the tolerance that I have for, for people messing up, for people failing me. And it's not much. But we look at you, we look at your word, we look at so many stories in your word, and we look at 
the story of Jonah, and we see that you intentionally wanted to use a messed up, broken man to deliver a great message and to save thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's clear to us, God, that you are going to continue to be at work in our lives to conform us, to stretch us, to take us through trials and tribulations so that we would become more like Jesus, so we would become more like you, so that you get the credit and you get all the glory. God, we, uh, we are so thankful that you keep reaching out to us. There's times in our lives, God, when we just stiff-arm you. We push you away and we push you away and we push you away, and I wonder if there's someone here right now that's doing that. They're pushing away their loving Father who cares for them so deeply and so much he's not going to give up on them. He's not going to quit pursuing them. God, we are so thankful that you are who you are. Help us to become more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.